everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. Daryl Grove is not with me. He is instead in Boston getting treatment and then seeing uncut gems, so he will return both healthier and more stressed out, uh, if my movie-going experience was any indicator. Uh, in his absence, I spoke with Sam Ty of the BR Football Ranks podcast. He's been on the show before. He'll be on again because he's terrific. Sam was a great guest and went deep on his favorite move of the January window, as well as the strangest one. Plus, we take a look at the current squad depth of some of Europe's biggest clubs, ponder what they might need to do in the summer to stay on top or what they might need to do with the remainder of their season to stay on top or get on top who knows sam was also good enough to do a semi-rapid fire game of stay or go that's a new one for us uh, in which i give him a player he tells me if that player will stay with his current club or be on the move this summer there's nine or so big name players in there but there's also many many other topics discussed that i'm not even going to mention here because that would take too long and it would be too long of an introduction and who wants to hear an introduction when they can hear sam uh so i'll leave it there and instead say joining me on the line making his second appearance on the total soccer show is mr sam ty of the br football ranks podcast he is uh according to my notes devastatingly handsome laid back uh what have we got an avid gardener a guinness drinker a pate connoisseur sam thank you very much for taking the time to return to the show yeah i mean half of that was a joke but i'll take it i'll take it um and next time i come on i'll give you a, a load more to read out so that'll be like the first 30 minutes of the show hey it's my second appearance and uh, daryl's not been on either does he just not like me that's pretty much it that's pretty much it no it is not he he very much enjoys you and very much enjoys your appearances on the show we tend to have more guests when he is out of town he's in boston getting treatment uh so then i i book guests you were one of the first i reached out to because we have many things to talk about the january window is closed we're going to get into some of the deals that happened as well as some of the deals that may happen uh, in the summer, but I, I will make sure that Daryl sends you an apology uh, sometime in the next week uh, because I think he definitely owes it to you. Okay, yeah, do that. <laughs> um, and before we even get to the transfers, um, we are the, the Total Soccer Show, but we're going to talk American football for a moment uh, because I should note that in my list of things that you are, it seems you're also a Super Bowl watcher. Is that correct? Uh, I am, yes. I'm a fairly avid NFL fan. I've supported the Detroit Lions for some reason, and I watch most of the games and most most Sundays I'm kicking back on the sofa and watching NFL once the football stops. So, yeah, I mean, Super Bowl is a is a tra- is an absolute tradition here in this household as much as it is anywhere else. And nachos were made, I understand. Oh man, I ate all the nachos before kickoff because they do. Uh, right, I was hungry for a start. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about making so Super Bowl. The official kickoff time in England is eleven thirty p.m. Yeah. Uh, but as we all know, nothing in the NFL actually happens on time. Also correct. Uh, all kickoffs are at least eight minutes late, which I absolutely despise as someone who prides himself on timekeeping. And this one was particularly late. I think it was around 20 minutes late, uh, according to the cut to kickoff time. I think it was about 10 to, 10 to midnight it kicked off. And I had eaten all of the nachos, a full bowl of nachos, um, before the, the first ball was kicked, which was, was really, really annoying. Um, but it did mean that I had more time later to eat my entire <laughs> bag of popcorn. There you go. Um, and... I also needed then, after the, the, the sort of lull that you get after you eat a full bowl of nachos, I was able to down an entire bottle of Gatorade. As you can probably tell, I tend to go American themed for the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, I buy like American beer, I eat American things, uh, and I drink American drinks because I try to get into the spirit of it. I'm not there waving a flag, and I'm not in a, I'm not in a Stars and Stripes suit with a top hat, but I'm pretty close to it. So you didn't wear the Stars and Stripes suit. I know you have that. You just break that out for special occasions? <laughs> Yeah, uh, Super Bowls every year is not special enough. Uh, my final final Super Bowl related question: uh, You said you drink American beer. What's the American beer you go with? Uh, well, basically, my favorite one is I, I, right. I think mostly like, there's a lot of American lager that's quite. 
and um, it doesn't taste very much. Like a Bud Light is, I think, is a really poor drink. Um, uh, and a Coors Light is very refreshing, but after one, you're thinking, where's the taste gone? Um, so it's uh, like Sierra Nevada IPAs, uh, mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that style thing, like California IPAs is the one. But I did have some Budweiser uh, on Sunday night, which I find acceptable acceptable all right i like that well i'm wondering which of the january moves you found acceptable as i said it's february the january window uh, has closed officially uh we're going to look at some of the business that happened some teams uh where they are right now and then the business that some might some clubs might do this summer let's start with january uh did you have a favorite move or a couple favorite moves for any particular reason uh yeah i mean I, I, I quite well. There was there were some that were baffling, obviously, but then I think usually, you know, nowadays clubs make reasonably smart decisions, and there were a few. Uh, Erling Haaland is the really obvious one that we can start with. That was probably my favourite move overall. Um, he scored his eighth goal for Dortmund last night. Yeah, uh, that being Tuesday night. So uh, the the fact that he started fast is an open secret. Um, so he's got eight in total so far. That's as many as he got in the Champions League group stage. Uh, that's exactly half as many as he got in half a season in the Austrian Bundesliga. So he is very consistent. He works in eights. Uh, so well done <laughs> to him. But I mean, this is my, one of my favourite moves because I really, like I have a soft spot for Dortmund. Um, I really do like them. And they basically managed to secure the best teenage striking talent on earth. Um, in a January transfer window, which is a notoriously difficult area to operate in, for an extremely reasonable 20 million euros. I know, obviously, there's a further discussion to be had about sell-on fees, about agent fees, about buyout clauses. But sometimes you don't need to overcomplicate these things. You just pay 20 million euros and transform your season, which is exactly what he is doing for them. The three league games he's played in, they scored five in each. Uh, so if that's not transformative, I don't know what is. Let's stay with him then for a moment, uh, because they bring in Erling Holland and then Dortmund also bring in Emre Jean, which feels like a sort of blend of what they traditionally do of bringing in very exciting young playmakers for probably cheaper than they should be, and then they end up being worth a lot more. But then this time they've also brought in this experienced midfielder who I think will give them a little bit of bite, a little bit of steel. Did you enjoy that move, and did you think that was a little bit of a departure for them? I like the Chan move as well, and it's one of the reasons I think Dortmund had one of the best windows, because if you add Haaland to Chan, it's a really, really good haul. I think Chan's stock is unnecessarily low at this point. I think it's it's unfairly low, because it hasn't really worked out for him at Juventus, and he's made a couple of fairly high-profile mistakes this, this season in the first half of the campaign in Turin. But... Um, he's like 25 or 26 like he's like like very deceptively young and you don't really have to go that far back to him playing like uh, you know 100 games for Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool and playing really well and Liverpool being like quite annoyed at losing him for free so this is a very good player with a lot of playing days ahead of him the fee was a little little high I think for what I was expecting 25 million euros or so I was like I didn't think he'd go for that much but I had a sneaky suspicion that he would leave uh, Juventus and that he would be a very good pickup for someone in December on our podcast I was pimping him to Manchester United and Arsenal uh, mm. as a as a as a key potential addition to to try and right their ailing midfields so the fact that Dortmund went out and did it it doesn't surprise me because they, they're smart operators. And you're right, it's not it's not quite the same as usual. It's not the not the young prospect. But Dortmund have started to change their philosophy a little bit on this because they appreciate that the, the market they've tried to operate in for so long, that young player market, is actually becoming quite saturated now. And they know that teenagers are moving for 20, 30, 40 million euros. Uh, Monaco have been hoovering up players like crazy 
uh, teenagers, that is, and uh, they're paying quite high premium for players that are really unproven. So in response to that, Dortmund, I think, have tried to sort of flip their approach and have actually started to find some value in the older market. So they're almost doing an inverse of themselves. And this window was a nice illustration of them being able to work both of those angles and come out with a really nice haul. Like they spent 45 million euros and they got Haaland and Chan. Like that's excellent. And they've already got eight goals from Holland, as you said. That's that's a decent yeah. return already. Um, I was pretty surprised by that because I knew he was good. I knew he was probably going to do fine at Dortmund and did seem to kind of fit exactly what they were looking for in terms of that striker. But I wasn't really expecting this many goals this quickly. Are you surprised by how he started? And maybe to bring him back down to earth, are there things that you think he still needs to develop or work on to kind of take his game to the next level? Look, I mean, I was a huge fan of Haaland moving into the January window. Lots of people were, but... And I knew he'd do well, but like anyone suggesting that they thought he'd do this well is a liar. This is absolutely ludicrous. Like I don't think anyone can possibly have expected this, except maybe Haaland himself, which is the key, because the self-belief happening over there is just the, the, the levels it's reaching is incredible. Um, obviously, I feel like it's going to plane off a little bit. Um, I think he's been helped initially by the fact that, first of all, he was for the most part an impact sub. So he's only started one game so far. So coming off the bench... And with the physical profile he has, where like he's so strong, so athletic, his acceleration and his speed kind of match his strength, and the fact that he's six foot four, he's such a handful, which is you know one of the reasons that he's so good. But I mean, if you've been playing seventy minutes against Marco Royce, Jaden Sancho, Julian uh, Brandt, and then they bring him on, I mean, that's yeah, I'm a tough time. Uh, but I also think that some of the Bundesliga defences in these first few games have completely underestimated just how fast he is. They have made assumptions based on his body shape that he's not going to be able to spin in behind, which he does very well, very regularly, and to devastating effect. So I think we're going to have to see some defensive adjustments from opposing teams mm-hmm. over the next few months as they play a deeper line and probably allow him to take the ball into his chest and see if he can work those angles and see if he can work those one-twos and not allow him to go in behind because obviously that's the most direct route to goal. So they'll make it more challenging for him. And that's when we get to see exactly what he's made of in terms of link-up play and hold-up play at a higher level. Because so far, they've just let him run in behind because they think he's slow. And I just won't carry on for much longer. They will surely figure this out at some point, if I have. You would assume, well, I mean, first of all, you're quite astute. But second of all, like, it does remind me of like Leicester City, the entire team when they won the Premier League. That just like every team kept being like, yeah, but this is not that hard. Like, we'll defend this. No, but oh, they've scored again. Like, it does yeah. feel a little bit like that level of arrogance or that level of like, no, we know he's slow. We don't need to worry about that. Yes, he's outrun other defenses, but we're pretty sure he's slow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it took the Premier League about six months to figure out that Jamie Vardy was a threat in behind. So I, <laughs> you're right. Maybe, maybe, just maybe they won't figure this out. But, you know, they are more tactically astute in Germany uh, than they are than we are in England. So we'll see. All right. Uh, so that was your maybe your favorite move, your favorite couple moves. What about your least favorite move? Was there one that you thought didn't really make a lot of sense or was perhaps too expensive? Um, let's have a look. Or we can, or we can even... Uh, Extend it to what did you think was maybe the strangest move or one that you definitely did not see coming? Uh, well, I mean, first of all, I didn't see her to Berlin going absolutely crazy mm-hmm. with money. Didn't see that coming. Um, they had a very strange window, didn't they? Uh, didn't they? Like uh, Piontek and, and, and Askasi Bar and, and Lucas Toussaint, who was then loaned back to Lyon, despite the fact that they bought him for like 25 million euros. And mm-hmm. they've obviously received some, some interesting investment. I'm not so sure that they spent the money as wisely as they could. Um, that's perhaps poignant for you guys as well, because obviously a certain Jurgen Klinsmann is in charge. Who's that? Uh, I'm not familiar with him. 
<laughs> no, no idea. Never heard of him. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that pans out. I think Jared Bowen to West Ham from Hull. Just this, the he's a good player, and he is a player that again ahead of January, I was pointing out and saying a club struggling at the bottom half of the league should take a look at Jared Bowen because he is a pretty prolific goal-scoring winger operating in the Championship. He's 23, I think, has a lot of room to grow. Um, every time I saw him over the last two years in the Championship, he absolutely destroyed whichever fullback he was playing. He's not that quick, but he just shoots from really silly angles and they seem to go in. Very, very productive player. So despite the fact that I was, again, like suggesting that he should be playing in the Premier League, the deal that West Ham struck for him on, West, on, on, on deadline day actually did take me back a little bit because 20 million... 60 grand a week. He's managed to secure himself a little relegation clause as well for about the same price as he joined in case they go down. There was at one point he was demanding £90,000 a week and declining a 50% relegation reduction clause. That's how powerful the position he was in on deadline day. And West Ham managed to figure out a deal that was better than that. But the finances involved in taking this player into the Premier League still took me back a little bit because, again, he's good, but like, wow. But this is the sort of thing that happens on deadline day. And, you know, the absolute ultimate what the hell are you doing on deadline day thing is, of course, Odio Nagalo. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, it's it's a it's a body. It's a he's a he's a he is a person. He's definitely a human. Um, All right. He's a person. He is. He has a body. They needed one of those. Um, and I think you can make a, a similar parallel with Aston Villa signing Borja Baston. Uh, from Swansea in the championship on the last day. They just needed someone who could play up front. The quality of the man in question actually isn't that important. It's just that they've had so many injuries up there. They are just short of human beings to play the role. So I did say that I was available, but they ignored my call. They took Igalo instead. What The thing with Igalo is like, it's he's I'm, I'm presuming he's not a bad footballer at this point because he's been reasonably productive throughout his career. Uh, four million pounds for a loan is not the end of the world. Uh, although I have heard that they're covering quite a big chunk of his 300 grand a week, like close to 250. Um, Again, if you add all of those finances up, it's a four month deal. Like it's not going to cost them that much. The thing is, is that they they kicked up a huge fuss about being involved with Menoriola and being dictated to by agents early in December. And that's why they didn't get Erling Haaland or that's what they say. The reason is, Erling Haaland didn't want to join them, but they made a huge public stunt about not being tied up with agents and then they get to the last day of the window and they're just they're, they're, they're just reaching out to every agent. We need someone. Who have you got? And someone comes up with, well, the Galo's in China not doing that much. And they're like, we'll take him. And it's just very hypocritical. Uh, the situation is very hypocritical. The finances aren't that bad. I just found it the, the perfect encapsulation or the, the perfect full circle of Manchester United's transfer window in which they just didn't really know what they wanted to do. And Igalo... We'll see, I guess, but like, I can't say that I've been watching him regularly in the Chinese Super League. Oh no! But, but you've got to you've got to presume that he is not quite up to the standard. So, uh, and given the finances involved, it's it it could go quite badly. I think. Much more still to come from my conversation with Mr. Sam Tai, but first I wanted to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Simple Contacts. There are a million things demanding your time. Contact lenses should not be one of them. Simple Contacts lets you renew your prescription and reorder your contacts from anywhere in minutes. It's easy, it's fast, it's reliable. I appreciate all of those things. If you aren't sure about your prescription or what lenses you might need, their vision test is only $20, which you can compare with an appointment, which could, without insurance, cost up to $200 
$20, slightly better than that. Uh, it then gets reviewed by a doctor, the vision test. So they're literally bringing the doctor's office to your home, which I do appreciate. Uh, I do not wear contacts, but my wife does. She used simple contacts. She was very impressed by the ease of the entire process. It's much, much easier than scheduling an appointment, going to the office, waiting in the waiting room, waiting in the actual exam room, and then dealing with the ensuing stress of interacting with another human who's asking you questions about minuscule differences between two lenses that can be very stressful. Instead, Simple Contacts makes things simple, which I suppose makes sense given the name. The contact lens prices are unbeatable, the vision test is only $20, and shipping is free. Best of all, our listeners can get $20 off their first Simple Contacts order with the promo code TSS20. Uh, Try it for yourself and save $20 on your lenses by going to simplecontacts.com slash TSS20 or entering the code TSS20 at checkout. Uh, I should mention that this is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. You still need those occasionally, but it is the most convenient way to renew a prescription and reorder your contact lenses if your vision has not changed. Uh, Once again, simplecontacts.com slash TSS20 or enter the code TSS20 at checkout. Thank you very much to Simple Contacts for sponsoring today's show. Now back to chatting with Sam. So I had several questions about him. Uh, you've already answered a couple of them. So instead, I, I want to take it to a broader perspective. I absolutely agree with you that I think Holland probably would have gotten a, a better financial deal coming from Manchester United, but I think they're probably not the draw they certainly used to be. Um, what do you think it is, if you were maybe like mulling some offers, if you were a professional footballer, what do you think is the number one red flag at Manchester United right now? Is it Solskjaer? Is it fan unrest? Is it the Glazers? Is it Woodward? Is it just the lack of consistent success? There's lots of different things going on there. I'm wondering what your thoughts might be. Um, I think... Harland, Harland made a really good choice at Dortmund because he prioritised uh, playing time plus uh, stable tactical strategy. And uh, a club that is reasonably well run and knows what it's doing uh, is going to give him the opportunity to shine. And look, there's no doubt that Erling Harland would have made the starting lineup at Manchester United. So we, can, we can absolutely say that given how good he's been in the Bundesliga. The question is, like, the setup around him, the players around him, like, would, would he have given himself the best chance of winning a future move? Would he have succumbed to such pressure? The pressure that is involved in moving to Manchester United is incredible. If you go to Dortmund, it's like you sort of half step off the radar a little bit. That's not to say that they're not, yeah, as a club, that they're not important or relevant because they are. But like, it's it's a little bit easier just to hide away the bad performances if you if you produce any when you're at Dortmund. If you're at Man United, if he'd have made his debut and the ball was bouncing off him, people would have been saying it's Lukaku again and all that. And what what you need in that situation is is a, is a stable situation. You need some patience and you need you need to sense the opportunity to be able to grow. And at Dortmund, that was all very clearly there. And look, Haaland rejected Man United. He rejected Juventus. He was being very picky. But I think when looking at the United situation and thinking, well, who do I want to go and play for? Lucien Favre in a very clear system with a series of excellent players like Sancho and Royce. Or do I want to go and play for Solskjaer, who doesn't really seem to know what he's doing tactically and risk becoming a high-profile flop and seeing the pressure of the Premier League come down on my shoulders? I think it's an easy choice, right? Um, yes, I was nodding the entire time. I should add that. That doesn't help listeners. But yes, I was nodding with you pretty much the entire way. They did also bring in uh, Bruno Fernandes on a permanent deal. Uh, did you think that was a solid move for them? Or did you think maybe that was uh, a bit much in terms of what they paid, given that I feel like they could have had him for cheaper and earlier earlier in the window? I like, I like Bruno Fernandes. I think he's a good player. Um, I think all of the same comments I've just made about Haaland apply to him in terms of the pressure. Um, in terms of how he is perceived and how how the start goes for him, because I think the start 
the, the next few months will define exactly what kind of a player he turns into for them. Um, he's probably what they needed because he is a player that doesn't necessarily fit into into a system or didn't a sporting sporting for those that don't really watch sporting and fair enough if you don't they're not very good um they they were they're quite rubbish like he was their best player by a mile and they just they just gave him the ball and said bruno have a shot oh bruno have another shot oh bruno maybe you could try this this time we just give you the ball over and over again and see what you could do and he was like all right fine i'll have a shot all right i'll have another one and he was he was peeling off five or six shots a game I think we saw in the debut against Wolves, didn't we, that he loves a shot from distance. Yep. He loves an impossible angle. This is Bruno. That wasn't him trying to impress on his debut. This is who he is. He's like a high-volume shot taker, high-risk pass taker. His pass percentage, complete, his pass completion percentage is it was rubbish at Sporting. And he made a lot of turnovers. There was a lot of times that he lost the ball. But he was allowed to in the confines of the system because they just gave him the ball and said, Bruno, give it a go, man. And if, if it comes off, we might win the game. And more often than not, it worked. And that's what led to his incredible statistics. Now, transposing a player like that into a very well-run system, like if he joined Man City, how would he thrive? Would he thrive? It's very hard to say. But Manchester United are similar to Sporting in that they don't, they're not actually very well built. They're underperforming and they need a player that they can just give the ball to and go, fancy a shot? Maybe it will go in. That's what they did with Pogba. That's what they'll do with Bruno. So he's actually walked into a reasonably similar situation. Obviously, United are better than Sporting. But the, the tactics at play don't have to change very much. And what you're going to see is, is Bruno's going to rack up five shots a game. Some of them will go in. Some of them will be skewed horribly, horribly wide. They'll be completely off balance. They'll go out for throw-ins. But one in every ten will hit the top corner. And he could become a bit of a hero for the half season because he is a good player and he can make the difference. There'll just be some lows with the highs. So Bruno potentially fills a, an area of need for Manchester United. I was saying Holland seems like he's a perfect fit for what Dortmund were needing. Some teams maybe did not bring in that player that they absolutely needed. Who do you think did the who was most confusing to you in terms of not strengthening an, an obvious area of need? Um well I think I think Atletico Madrid failing to get a striker is a bit of a it's a, it's, well, it's, a, it's an absolutely massive problem in the context of the rest of the season. I think they'll still make the top 4 but I think to have any chance against Liverpool, in fact, to have any chance of not being crushed by Liverpool, I think they needed to pick up someone like Cavani because their forward options are not great. They're not consistent. They're not consistently healthy. And goal scoring wise, Atletico are really lacking this season. The defence is still fine, but up front, there is a massive problem. Morata cannot be relied on. There's fitness issues uh, this season with Joe Felix. And I don't think that they're going to get out of their own half against Liverpool. And, they haven't been very inspiring in the attacking third, even against some of the weaker teams in La Liga this season. So that's like one position where I just thought you got to do something. You got to do something, and they didn't do anything. But then across the board, uh, I'd say Chelsea. Chelsea could have used three, four, five players, <laughs> um, and that's not to take away from what is what has been a very good season so far. So far for them, I think they'll finish in the top four. I think Frank Lampard's doing a good job. But not acting at all in January means that in the summer they are going to have to spend like three, four hundred million pounds because, in in my opinion, they need to do something about the goalkeeper. Um, maybe that's not buy another really high priced one. Maybe that's get a, a you know a thirty year old steadier pair of hands uh, to try and help Kepper find his form. But they need a left back. They're going to need a striker because Giroud's going to go, and that striker is going to have to be able to fit the high pressing strategy that Tammy Abraham leads so well. 
They're probably going to need a winger because Pedro's going to leave and Willian is, is getting on a little bit, even though he's, again, playing quite well. If they could find like a long-term partner for Pulisic, fantastic, they should do it. They need a left-sided centre-back, in my opinion, because none of the four they have are actually very comfortable at all on the left-hand side. And it is a massive problem for them. They're all individually quite good, but none of them can play in the left centre-back spot. At January, I was harping on, go and get Nathan Ake, go and get Nathan Ake, because they had a buyback on him for £40 million. And I think that's expired now. So they can't get him for that cheap any longer. So they're going to have to look somewhere else and maybe cost themselves more money. So I think Chelsea, like what they, what they didn't do in January will just lead to an even bigger task in the summer. And like have no doubt about it, like Chelsea will spend some money in the summer. They, they know that they have a lot of good young players and they know that they're ticking along really nicely this season. But they also know that they're going to have to spend to complement that if they want to get anywhere. So... Um... As you said, Kepa dropped this weekend. Caballero comes in and does things. Certainly played in goal. We'll, say, we'll give him that. What do you think has been the the major issue for Kepa under Frank Lampard? Or what are the issues you think Frank Lampard has with Kepa? Um, well, so I actually had a little kind of like... I have, right, for context, all season long, every season, I have many underlying disputes with certain fan bases about certain things because I, I say something that they disagree with and then I stick to my guns because I'm right. And then they disagree with me all season. And then probably 12 months later, it turns out uh, that guy was right. So Kepa last season, I don't think was anywhere near as good as Chelsea fans suggest that he was. And I had him at, like, I was doing Premier League player rankings per position last season, not doing it this season. But I had Kepa like 10th, 11th out of 20 goalkeepers. I was constantly being told that I was wrong. I was constantly telling people, no, no, like watch him, watch him. Like he doesn't come for crosses. He's not brave. Aerially, he doesn't command his box. He concedes too many shots, considering how many he has faced. And on the ball, he is willing to take it, but actually he plays plays into danger. And all of these things were very apparent and just like not being picked up on. And then this season, all of these things are being picked up on. So I don't actually think there's that much difference, except he's developed a case of the spaghetti wrists. And even more shots are going through his wrists at this point than before. And that's what makes his struggles far more noticeable. I don't think at any point last season, he was an absolute cast iron solution. And there have been question marks over him ever since he joined. And given the cost, he cost that much money, it's 72 million pounds, I think, or 72 million euros. He cost that much money. I don't think you can just give up on this player after two seasons. I don't think that's possible. I think what you have to do is try and rebuild him. But it's not so much of a drop off, I don't think, as people are talking about, because he just wasn't as good last season as people made out. So I don't think he had spaghetti wrists going into Chelsea. So I'm assuming that means that you're saying that Jose Mourinho was correct and the medical staff uh, need some review because spaghetti wrists is not a thing that should be happening. No, no. Ask any doctor. Uh, that's a bad sign. <laughs> um, I want to go back to Adleti for a moment. Um, this is the first time that I can remember, or maybe since I've been paying attention, that there has been some speculation about what happens with Diego Simeone. Um, aside from the positive of like, oh, he's going to move here, he's going to move there. This time around with how kind of lackluster some of their performances have been, the lack of goals, it's been more so, is he the right man for Adleti going forward? Um, where are you on that conversation, given some of the kind of vulnerabilities we've seen the lack of goals and then the lack of productivity from Jao Felix. Yeah, this is a this is a case of I, this is a really interesting subject, and there are three or four prongs to it. First, fundamentally, I believe that they should not be they should not be sacking him at any point. If he decides to leave, it's a different question. If he decides he's burnt out, fine. But they should not be looking to get rid of Diego Simeone. I think it's a case of be careful what you wish for, which is currently being implemented in style by Tottenham 
post Pochettino. I know that they beat City at the weekend, but for the record, I think that was one of the luckiest wins I've seen all season. And uh, there's some there's some discontent there at Tottenham, and it's it's a case of oh, I'm not, I'm not sure if what we did was correct here. And I feel like Atletico fans will feel the same as well uh, if the, if that were to happen. There there is the pressure on him is building for sure. Um, I watched the game a couple of weeks ago, and not the the one before the Clasico. Can't remember who it was against. And within the first couple of minutes. The Wanda Metropolitano had, had sung a few songs for Diego Simeon. He was clapping the back and they were clapping him. And it, it seemed like they were trying to be friends with each other because there has been a lot of pressure on him recently. And I think what you have to understand with Atletico this season is this is the mother of all transitional seasons. Um, finally, in the summer, they lost the last of their genuine legends. So over the years, obviously, uh, the likes of Gabby, have got uh, have have basically filtered and disappeared away, and then over the course of last summer, they lost Diego Godin, they lost Juan Fran, and they lost Felipe Luis. So basically, your entire defence from those glory days of 2014, and this is something you have to be very patient with as it shifts. They spent a lot of money in the summer, and I don't think they got any better. I think they spent a lot of money and got worse because you can't just replace players like Diego Godin and Felipe Luis. Like, it just doesn't really work like that. But you can put the building box in place so that in a few years, you will be as good again. And that's what they're doing. I also think they got caught in a bit of a crossroads over the last couple of years as they try to adapt their style and buy different players for that new style, like Thomas Lamar who's the huge casualty of, hey, should we try and play a bit more expansive possession-based football? Yeah, let's give it a go. Let's buy Thomas Lamar. He's really good on the ball. He's a really good attacking outlet. Nope, this isn't working after three weeks. We're going to go back to 4-4-2 and defending. And then Thomas Lamar becomes completely useless. Yep. So he's the poster boy for what was, I think, an attempted transition into a new style of football that failed and then they just pulled the plug on. So they've got a series of players in their squad that don't suit the classic Diego Simeone style. They've lost their legends and they're just going to have to work through this. I don't think they need to they need to buy that many more players. Like they need a striker, but I wouldn't buy any more. I don't think adding players to this would help. They have a lot of them, they, but they, they signed a fair few in the summer and it will naturally gel over time. But it is a bit of a sticky one because they have become a club in which a season like they're having is unacceptable. And uh, that's a bit of a pinch yourself moment because... You know, Atletico 10 years ago were not this relevant, not at all. And mm-hmm. like to, to have a season like they're having right now would have been fantastic. So that's that's how the goalposts have shifted. But it is a tough one. And I, I would I would just be really careful if I were Atletico Madrid, uh, a fan or a decision maker when applying pressure to Diego Simeone, like long term, like, is this what you actually want to see? Or can you just wait this out for six months? So Atleti have a series of players that maybe aren't quite clicking, it's not quite working. Uh, Real Madrid, for their part, uh, have a series of players that are maybe all clicking. Of all of Europe's like biggest clubs, of the juggernauts of Europe, are they the best positioned for the foreseeable future, Real Madrid? Yeah, they've just got tons and tons of players, haven't they? Um, I mean, it's, it's absolutely mad how many players they've got. Um, did, a, did an article this week uh, producing summer shopping lists for these clubs and I came to the conclusion that Real Madrid didn't really need to buy anyone. Oh, yeah, I mean, right. <laughs> look, if, if, if Kylian Mbappe is on the market for £250 million, by all means, go and get him. But that is also symbolic of the fact that the work that they have done in the transfer market over the last two or three years has set themselves into such a strong position, both with regard to quality and with regard to depth, that you have the money to spend on Mbappe if you need it because there are no other holes to fix. 
Like, if they had problems at left-back and holding midfield and they needed a striker and the goalkeeper was a question, then you wouldn't be able to spend that kind of money on one player. But the fact that they set themselves up so well means they can if they want to. And, look, if Mbappe becomes available, no doubt about it, Real Madrid will ask the question and try and do it because he's, he's the superstar they want. But I don't think it's a disaster if they sign no one. Like, all they did in January was they signed Rainier, mm-hmm. who was excellent. And last summer's work, with particularly with regard to Hazard, Fulon Mendy and Edo Militao, I think that's really good business that has, again, set them up really nicely. So Real Madrid right now are laughing. Um, and look, away from all the signings and things like that, I just want to give Casemiro some praise because that man is doing like, like three people's jobs on a daily basis on a pitch. Like yep. he, is, he is actually Superman at this point. And he's like a holding midfielder and a sweeper and an attacking number 10 who scores headers and shits goalkeepers. The guy is having the most ridiculous season I can remember from a midfielder of his type ever. And I think his brilliance is a driving force behind what has been a much better two months. You know, December, when they got drawn against Man City, I was like, they're going to lose that game. You know, two months later, I'm really not so sure. And you mentioned uh, bringing in Rainier, Rainier Jesus. Uh, I forget which which way. Is it just Rainier? Is he just going for first name? He just goes, uh, on his shirt, he just goes with Rainier. All right, there we but go. On, on, his, on Instagram, he's Rainier Jesus. Okay, all right. So uh, we'll go with know. Rainier for now, which I think is also a mountain, or at least it used to be. Uh, 18-year-old Brazilian attacker, as you mentioned. Uh, 35 million euros, I believe, is the fee. What do you know about him that makes you feel like he is that good? And how quickly do you think we'll see him in uh, the first team uh, with Madrid? Because I think he's going to the Castilla, is what I read. Yeah, I think he's going to drop into the under-23s to start with. I mean, right now he's in the pre-Olympic qualifying team with Brazil, right? Um, or has been for the last couple of weeks. So they ha- he hasn't even been really in Madrid. Um, he's obviously came from Flamengo. So he was filtered into the Flamengo team here and there towards the second half of the campaign. And so when I started to check in on Flamengo, um, because they were obviously going to the, they won the, they won the Copa Libertadores and were going to the Club World Cup. I took a look at their players and we have a Brazilian colleague in the office and I spoke to him about it and spoke to his friends and all of his Flamengo supporting fan, uh, friends all said that Rainier is the best talent they've seen come through that academy in like decades. And that includes Vinicius Junior, who came through the same academy. So yeah. I was like, okay, let's take a look at this Rainier, the Rainier guy then. Um, and then I started flicking through his Brazil under-17 work and was pretty, was pretty much gobsmacked by just the, the elegance and the, the ingenuity. Uh, he, he's been like lobbing goalkeepers from 40 yards, backheeling uh, runners in through behind defences. He's so clever. He thinks so quickly. He's a, a, a kind of like a, he's a number 10 playmaker who can occasionally play wide, but he's not very fast. And he's a little bit taller than you'd think as well. And has actually scored a few. He scored a header from like 16 yards for Flamengo at the end of the season, which was really strange. Um, but he's just one of those players who seems to have the X factor and has comes up with solutions on the fly, which just allows you to just hand in the ball and see what happens. Again, a bit like the, the Bruno thing, but with a bit more class. And I'm really excited to see what they could do with him. And the fact that they've now they're now able to field an attacking midfield three of Vinicius, Rainier, and Rodrigo is like that's just that that that's that's just appeals to me. Like I want to see that happen. 
Hey everybody, this is Taylor jumping in one more time to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Manscaped. Uh, breaking news, this is an important PSA brought to you by Manscaped.com. After more than 18 months of research and development, the Manscaped engineering team has confirmed that they have successfully created the greatest uh, trimmer ever created for your nether regions, uh, shall we say. We try to keep it not explicit on the show to the extent possible, hence the beeps earlier in this episode. But this new trimmer is the Lawnmower 3.0, not the 2.0, not not the 1.0, but the 3.0. This third-generation Manscaped trimmer features cutting-edge ceramic blade to prevent uh, manscaping accidents. No one wants that. Uh, you don't want any injuries. You don't want any nicks. You don't want any cuts. You don't want uh, your family members to hear you screaming from the bathroom uh, because that can be disconcerting both for you and for them. More for you, but a little bit for them. But they've also made the transition process very easy, which is always appreciated. If you use the Lawnmower 2.0, it's an easy transition because it's the same replacement blade with a new and improved skin safe technology when i tell you this is premium i mean it's premium uh including features like the battery which will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave but you don't have to charge forever which is lovely uh one of the coolest new features is the led light which illuminates grooming areas for a closer more precise trim so if you're say shame shaving in a darkened room you at least have that light to help you i don't know why you're shame shaving you couldn't be because uh everybody needs a little bit of grooming from time to time why not embrace it. And why not get 20% off plus free shipping with the code TSS at manscaped.com. Uh, one more time, that's code TSS at manscaped.com to get 20% off plus free shipping. Don't forget to check out the new Lawnmower 3.0. It's such a good product that it required breaking news. I think Sky Sports are going to use the same Chiron when they want to talk about it, uh, if and when they do. But for now, thank you very much to Manscaped for sponsoring this episode. Now back one last time to my conversation with Sam Tai of the BR Football Ranks podcast. So Madrid, uh, more than a little deep and with a manager that like you would assume has supreme confidence uh, given what he's done uh, previously and then returning uh, in the form of Zinedine Zidane for Barcelona. I, I don't know if the situation is quite as similar. Their big move this uh, in January was uh, getting rid of Valverde. In comes Kike Setien. Uh, where are you on him in terms of what Barcelona need? Because I genuinely cannot tell. Daryl was pretty high on him, I think based mostly on his kind of philosophy and how much he adores the Barcelona system. I I can't tell if he is the like long-term solution that they've really been looking for or if he is sort of the if it ends up being long-term that's great but also maybe he ends up being short-term well i mean like look he wasn't the first choice mm -hmm. so i think it, yeah I right, think right it's there more, yeah I, I think it's i think it's more what the you know your your second option there i think is about spot on i think stylistically He's a perfect match for Barcelona. And I can see why Daryl's excited because for what, what he produced, the style of play that he produced at Real Betis was exactly what you associate Barcelona with. Uh, and it is not what Barcelona have been playing over the last couple of years with Valverde. So from a stylistic perspective, it's a huge tick. Um, but the, the uphill battle he faces is he steps into a situation where like, it's a badly run football club, right? It's badly run. And that is that is epitomised by the fact that they decided to sack Valverde because he lost a competition they didn't actually care about. And they got to the point throughout, uh, through one day where they'd already decided to sack him and Xavi had said no to the job. And apparently Ronald Koeman had also said no to the job. And they didn't have any options. But they'd gone so far that they couldn't not sack him. So they were like, well, what do we do then? All right, we'll get Kike Setien. Fine, whatever. So th this is the situation he walks into. Like he's not even really had the backing of the board. He's come in because they couldn't find anyone else, and he also walks into a situation where Luis Suarez is then ruled out for like maybe the season with a knee injury. 
like I know it's an absolute honour to manage Barcelona and the players he has at his disposal are fantastic. But this is tough. Like This is a difficult situation to walk into. The concern is he's not given the time that he needs to implement what he wants. I think, I think if he was, this would work. It's just about whether or not they've got the patience for it. And the fact that he comes in as third or fourth or fifth choice probably means that he has a shorter leash than he otherwise would have. Certainly a shorter leash than Xavi would have if he came in and needed a little bit of time to get going. Now, his first performance against Granada wasn't great. And, you know, the performance against Valencia was absolutely terrible. Um, although, <laughs> Gabriel Paulista played so well that day, I was actually scratching my eyes out. I was like, right. well, who, we, who the hell are you? Where are <laughs> I was you a little there? confused. Um, Messi took 11 shots and didn't score. And then uh, at the weekend, took 10 shots and didn't score. So in back-to-back league games... He took 21 shots and didn't score a single goal. And like, <laughs> that's just completely and utterly unheard of from Lionel Messi. So again, add that to the pile of things that Kike Setien is working through. Stylistically, it's a huge tick. I really hope it works out for him because he seems like the right style. Uh, whether or not he gets that chance at Barcelona, I don't know. And I don't think this Barca team stacks up against the very, very best in Europe right now, to be honest with you. I think if they met Liverpool... In the Champions League, I think they they get flattened as well. So that could be the end for Setien before it even really begins. Mm-hmm. And the uh, injury to Usman Dembele certainly has not helped things oh, either. Man, <laughs> when are we going to uh, like this? Is this is we are barreling towards a case of wasted potential? Yeah. Oh, do you remember Dembele? Do you remember? Do you remember him? Like, oh, how good could he have been? Like, he will be. He is. We are getting to the point where he will be one of those players that we wistfully reminisce about about how good he could have been. But his hamstrings have just decided not to let him. Let's get him to Stoke and let's get Stoke Alona back and see how that goes. That's my plan. <laughs> um, you mentioned you mentioned the links with Chavi uh, and Ronald Koeman. I'm I'm assuming like my kind of operational assumption has been Koeman wants to stay and manage in the Euros and then evaluate his options. He doesn't want to jump ship right now. Chavi maybe felt like he wasn't experienced enough or wanted a little bit more time to develop. Do you agree with that, or is there a chance that both of them sort of see the situation at Barcelona similar to Holland with Man United and just thought like mm, maybe we'll see how that goes, maybe sometime down the road, but not quite yet. I think if Xavi feels like he's not qualified to manage Barcelona right now or not ready, then that's absolutely fair enough. Again, it's one of those things where, like with Igalo in China, I'm not, I'm not keeping up with Xavi's managerial career in Qatar. I've not been tuning in week in, week out. I don't know what he, I don't know what he, what style he is. Or like how, I don't know anything about him as a manager. It's just that he is Xavi, so obviously it makes sense to appoint him. If he feels like he can't do it right now, fair enough. Um, Ronald Koeman has there's absolutely no need for him to take another job right now. Like the Dutch are not exactly front runners for the for the Euros, but they are one of the five strongest teams going to that tournament, and they have Virgil Van Dijk at the back. Like what could possibly go wrong? And why would you why would you cloud or model your schedule heading into the Euros by taking on the Barcelona project, which could see you removed after six months if it doesn't go to plan anyway? You're right. It's a little bit a little bit of a poison challenge for any manager who is in a slight semblance of a good situation. So the only option they were going to have was a, was a, was a person like Setien, who was literally unemployed. <laughs> oh, I didn't think about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, at least he likes the system. That's good. I, I feel like we've maybe bummed out Barcelona fans a little bit. Let's give them reason for optimism, or at least a small reason for optimism. Uh, given like the way January went for them, combined with the injuries we've already discussed, it does feel like what they're going to have to do is rely on a lot of the young players coming through. They've already done that a little bit this season. We would expect them to do more of that. Ansu Fati has been uh, particularly impressive. He got the brace this weekend. Which of their young players do you think could end up being key performers 
performance for them in the second half of the season who might sort of rise to the occasion? Well, with Dembele absent and Suarez out, I think this is this is absolutely Ansu Fati territory. Um, it's not exactly breaking news to call him a potential breakout star. We, we saw it right at the start of the season, mm-hmm. like the first couple of games is when he really started to offer his promise. So six months down the line, they've kind of, I think they've done reasonably well with him. You can't put too much on his plate too early. Uh, but he's the youngest La Liga player to score a brace now uh, after what he did at the weekend. Uh, Messi, the, the, the ball that Messi played through the lines for, for, for Ansu Fati to, to shrug off his marker and finish was fantastic. And I was I was literally composing a tweet about how good that was. And before I'd even finished it, he scored again. So that was that. I was like, right, delete that then because he's, <laughs> he's now got he's now on a brace. Um, so I think Fati's the obvious choice. But the player I like more than anyone. Uh, over at Barcelona is Ricky Pooch. All right, I was—I I didn't want to say his name because I knew that you all have learned how to pronounce it. So I was going to let you run with that. So go ahead, please. It's Pooch or Pooch or something. Uh-huh. I've been calling him Ricky Puig for like so two years, and uh, that's wrong. Uh, and I hate—I hate it. I hate it when I do that because it's really insensitive. So um, apologies, Ricky, if you're listening. Uh, but Ricky Pooch is, is a player that it, on Kike Setien's first game in charge when they played Granada, they had like 83, 84% possession and it was nil-nil in like the 70-minute mark. And he turns to Puch to come on. And that was symbolic, I think. This is, this is why Barcelona fans can get on board with Setien and try to, try to move past the little growing pains they're going to experience for the better. Because the fact that he turned to Puch is a huge point of discussion because Valverde would never have done that. And he, he turned to Puch, he brought him on. And you know what? The tempo of the game picked up, but was instrumental in winning the ball back for the move that Messi and Vidal then constructed to win the game with the only goal. At one point, Puj, like carried the ball like 40 yards effortlessly and was fouled. He then committed one of the most cynical fouls I've seen two minutes later to stop a breakaway from Granada to protect the win. It was all very Barcelona. And he feels like he has the Barca DNA running through him. He just feels like that Iniesta style number eight, give, go, give, go, tap, tiki taka. Just he's got the like the, the the sort of wishy-washy hair that Sergio Roberto has. Everything about it feels right. And he's the player that I'm most excited about for Barca. I know that Ansu Fati is the answer to the question and the correct answer to the question. But from my perspective, like, I just keep a very, very close eye on him. And at the weekend, uh, I was very worried. I was like, it basically got to about 60 minutes and Barca were tuning it up. But I was like, why have you not brought him on yet? Why have you not brought him on yet? Why have you not brought him on yet? And like complaining to people on WhatsApp that he hadn't brought him on yet. So I'm actually at that point of like the ultra fanatical Ricky Puj fan base. Uh, yeah, speaking of which, uh, Ricky Puj did text me. He says, apology accepted uh, for the pronunciation <laughs> error. He doesn't know how he feels about you describing his hair as wishy-washy. He's going to think about that one. But overall, I think you guys are on okay terms. <laughs> Good, thank you, Ricky. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he'll. Uh, he says you're welcome. Okay, uh, so the final thing I wanted to do before I let you go um, and, and move away from me pretending to uh, know footballers is to ask about some specific players and what you think may happen to them this summer. Uh, so it's time for some rampant speculation from Sam Ty. Uh, will this player stay or move, uh, leave their current club or stay with their current club this summer? Up first would be Mr. Paul Pogba. Yeah. Okay. So. This this is this is at least partially guesswork. It, it's a it's a feeling in my mm-hmm. waters for each one. Let's put it that way. Um, I think Pogba will leave. I think the situation at United is has well, has been unsustainable or untenable for about twelve months, and I think by the summer it will be eighteen. Um, <laughs> lots of people are asking me, oh, can Bruno and Pogba play together? Doesn't matter. He's going to go. Yeah, I, I I feel like you are correct, especially given the way this season has gone. All right, so Pogba is leaving. What about Neymar? Is Neymar staying at PSG, or is he on his way? Oh, 
I think he'll stay. I think he's. I think it will. I think it will carry on. And so, what would be season four in Paris? Would that be? Yeah, something like that. Good <laughs> God, this is really creeping up on me. This. I mean, I didn't think he'd stay there for very long. I didn't think he'd make it past two. And here I am saying he'll make it into season four. And um, yeah, I, I think I think he'll probably stick around. I don't think. Um, I don't think there's there's an opportunity for both he and Mbappe to leave. And and this is not me saying they're both gone. Um, but if I had to pick one to stay, I think it would be Neymar. All right, so let's just move right on to the next player on the list, which would be Kylian Mbappe. Uh, I think Real Madrid will go for him, and I think there is a there is a chance that he leaves. I don't know how much to buy into the reports of a rift between he and Thomas Tuchel. Um, I did speak to a, a friend of mine who who knows a few people at PSG the other day, and he said that, that there is a genuine misunderstanding between them, and mm. um, and they don't really like each other that much at the moment but this this does happen in football and, and, and you know you get over it fairly quickly what the guy did say was um essentially what happens what decides Tuchel's future um is Leonardo the sporting director uh, and what decides uh Neymar and Mbappe's future at PSG is whether or not they finally tick the box with regard to Champions League mm-hmm. progress because if they do crash out in the round of 16 or the quarterfinals then the chances that these two leave are increased if they pull off a run this time, then obviously that decreases. So it's kind of watch this space uh, without actually genuinely knowing. I'm going to say stay, uh, but that doesn't mean that people won't go in for him. All right. So we've got leave for Paul Pogba, stay for Neymar, stay, but maybe a chance that uh, Kylian Mbappe leaves. What about in Italy? Let's say Kaladu Koulibaly. I think uh, not the best oh, of seasons it's... with Napoli. It's been, uh, it's been managerial turnover. Uh, definitely not the success we expected. I have a feeling that a lot of clubs are going to be needing center backs. He seems like he fits the bill for a lot of teams. Yeah, I think he's going to go. I think for the first time in a long time, he's actually purchasable or gettable, which is important because, you know, in previous years, he just he just hasn't been. Um, and the fact that there's been so much infighting and turmoil at Napoli over the last two months or so. And look at their, look at their business in January, man. Like, if that if if what I'm seeing from them isn't pre-stocking ahead of a summer fire sale, then I've never seen anything like it. I, I don't, you know, like they've they've bought a, literally a whole new midfield and a new centre back and then loaned him back out again, ready for the summer. They are going to sell some players this summer, and I think Koulibaly at this stage, he's like 28, maybe 29. He's in the prime of his career. He's one of the best in the world. Play teams like Manchester City are going to need a centre-back in the summer. They're going to need a big splash. And I think he goes. I think it's finally his Napoli chapter comes to a close. So, Kalidou Koulibaly may leave Italy. What about Sergei Milinkovic-Savic uh, for Lazio? Does he also leave Italy? Oh, jeez. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's an interesting one. I've never quite got on with him as well as um, as others have. Uh, not, not in a personal I, sense. I know exactly what you mean. Him. Like every time I keep expecting to be the next big thing, like the, he's got the Paul Pogba body size, but like the, the technical ability as well, you ex- expect him to just be this dominant force. And yet every time I see him, like I would say like maybe one in five times, he looks really impressive. And every other time I'm just like, oh yeah, he's on the field. Oh yeah, that was fine. That was fine. But I don't see yeah. that next level. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. And I have the same thing. Do you ever wonder if you're just getting super unlucky with the games that you can have? Yes, all the like, time. So I, so I have the exact same problem at the moment with Dayot Upamakano at Leipzig. Yep. I'm starting to wonder if I'm just like the unluckiest Upamakano watcher in history. Because pretty much every time I tune in, he's rubbish. And I just like he gets talked about as like an 80 million euro centre back. And, you know, everyone gets linked to him and people talk about him all the time. He gets hyped up. And like, every time I watch it, I'm just like, oh, re- He's not very good. And I must be getting unlucky. But the thing is, his centre-back partner, Ibrahim Konate at Leipzig, is clearly way better. 
Hmm. So you don't even have to look very far to find a good one. It's literally stood next to him. So I just kind of, I kind of have the same thing with, with Milinkovic Savage to a point. <laughs> and I think he'll stay because I, I think once again, Lazio will ask for a hell of a lot of money. And I don't think he's good enough to justify it. So that would, that would leave me saying stay. But I really, I really don't know. All right. Well, speaking of lots of money, but maybe not justified, what about Gareth Bale? Uh, Gareth Bale, the ever-present fixture on the could-go-in-the-window uh, list. Uh, do you think he finally goes in the summer? I don't think there's anywhere for him to go. Yeah, that's the so, problem, isn't it? So I think he stays because, I mean, I think he'd love to leave. Uh, I think there are lots of teams that would love to have him, but he is one of a, an alarming sort of growing contingent of players uh, who are seemingly just a bit stuck, uh, stuck in a big contract, stuck on a big wage. No one can afford them. I say stuck. If they decided to play for free, then obviously then they wouldn't be stuck. Um, but he's in the same boat as Alexis Sanchez, where like you cannot, like you cannot buy this guy. His injury record, his age, his ability his wage, what, what, of Gareth, what of Gareth Bale is, is actually an attractive proposition at this point. I, I know I'm not like breaking new ground here or anything like that, but I just started rubbing my head because as a Manchester United fan, you really did just summarize all the reasons why they're going to sign him in the end. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I'm sure they'll ask the question. I mean, like there was, there was a little question asked in the, in the January window from Tottenham, that, you know, to put the feelers out and said, well, well, well what do you think about this? And it's the, that always happens. Every window, someone puts the feelers out to Gareth Bale and his camp, and every 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 month they consider it. I remember last summer where like Zidane was like, "I need him gone. I want yep. him gone." And then Real Madrid supposedly accepted a, like a zero pound bid from a Chinese club, and we're, we're going to let him go for free just to get him out and get his wages off the books. And then Florentino Perez goes, "Whoa, hang on a minute, for free, nothing back? <laughs> Absolutely not." So this is a cycle we keep going in with Gareth Bale, and I just don't, I don't know how this ends until his contract runs out and then will he even go to another club or will he just take up golfing full-time like it doesn't it doesn't even necessarily follow that he leaves after that yeah i could see him doing like a chad ochocinco thing of just pursuing other sports professionally uh since since football seems to be a a difficult one for him i also do enjoy (laughs) zidane zidane like now having to do the like no gareth bale is very important to us through like gritted (laughs) teeth you can just tell how happy he is to to still get to talk about this uh, what about Pierre Emerick Aubameyang? Uh, he's uh, we've got Mikel Arteta there at Arsenal now. I I personally feel like that's going to go well, uh, but that may not really matter to Aubameyang. So I'm wondering what you think happens with him. Yeah. Um, so at the start of the season, when they signed Pepe, I was really excited to see um, Pepe, Aubameyang, uh, and Lacazette pair up, and then also trio up, and then um, and then Özil came into the equation. It was quite exciting to see those four in action, but. Gabriel Martinelli's emergence as a very, very good footballer and potentially like a genuine star. I'm very, very high on Martinelli's ability and potential. I actually think that one of those four players has is going to have to go to make room for Martinelli to flourish full-time. And heading into Christmas, I thought, it's a Bamiyang. I think they're going to sell high on his ability. Uh, but I've actually I've actually changed my mind over the course of Arteta's first two months, presuming that they are going to put their faith in Arteta and try and produce some kind of long-term project. I don't think Lacazette has the fitness levels to play for Arteta. That man is gassed after 60 or 70 minutes of every single game. He's on his haunches, leaning over. Fitness has always been a little bit of an issue for him, but in such a high-intensity system, it's really showing up just how difficult he finds it to run at a full pace for 90 minutes. So if you'd have asked me in December, I'd have said, 
Aubameyang leaves. Now I say he stays and Lacazette is the one that goes in the summer. All right. So now, okay. Well, then I don't even have to ask you about Lacazette since you've answered that. Instead, I'll ask you about uh, two Dortmund players. These are the final ones for you. and Then I'll let you take a rest. Uh, number one, Jaden Sancho. I think he's going to leave. <laughs> I think he's going to come to the Premier League. I think I think one of Chelsea or Manchester United are going to pay uh, over a hundred million for him. Mm-hmm. That, Genuinely, I think I think I think that's going to happen. That checks out to me. And then the one that maybe is a surprise inclusion on this one would be Erling Holland. Is there a chance we see him move on this summer if somebody comes in with an absurd bid? Because in my <laughs> mind, he does fit. A lot of what we talked about when we're talking about Luis Suarez and getting older and what Barcelona need, Erling Haaland feels like he would fit in well there. Uh, it would require an absurd amount of money, I'm sure. But I- I'm wondering if you think, at-, at the very least, do Dortmund start getting bids for him this summer? I don't think I don't think Dortmund would be able to put any kind of PR spin on a summer window uh, that, that involves them losing Haaland and Sancho. Ah, good point. Play. However, obviously, with Haaland having having a, a release clause. I don't know what it is. I saw reports of 60 million euros. I also saw reports of 75. Let's assume it's one of those two figures or somewhere in between. After six months at the top level, are you willing to spend that much money on Haaland, even if you, even if what you've seen so far is brilliant? I, I would say that the club should be a little bit smarter and just give it, give it one and a half seasons or one full season to mm-hmm. see what happens. I'm not comparing the players because I think they're very different and the ability levels are very different. But look at what Milan have done with Christoph Piontek. Mm-hmm. Um, six excellent months with Genoa in which he hit the hottest of hot streaks and outperformed his XG to a point where if he had carried on, he would essentially have been the Polish Pele. That cooled off fairly quickly at Milan struggled for uh, struggled for confidence hit a bit of a crisis and has now obviously moved to her to berlin so like a six month sample on a striker is a very very dangerous and potentially volatile thing to judge and i have no doubt that harland is a significantly better footballer than piontek and i i believe that harland will be world class and this this shouldn't be a problem but if you're a club looking at that player after six months at dortmund and you're looking at those figures I think you should wait another six months. So I think he will stay. Um, and final question for you, if it's not Piontek, is Robert Lewandowski the Polish Pele? Because I feel like that's the answer. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the... I mean, it's got to be him, isn't yeah. it? It's definitely not Piontek. <laughs> but what I mean by that was just like his... The, 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 the shots that he was taking mm-hmm. uh, and the, the, the level to which he was finishing was like godlike. It was Ronaldo-esque. And it was not sustainable unless it turns out we are looking at one of the next best players on earth. And eventually you will regress to the mean. And he did in quite some fashion. Mm-hmm. And the Milan spell was, well, it was 12 months, yeah. wasn't it? And he was, and he was kicked out for another 50, about 12 million pound loss. Did you see the Piontek quotes, by the way? Um, when no. he joined Milan, he said, uh, I've moved for 35 million euros. Next time I move, I hope it's for 70. Oof. So obviously the guy's ambitious. He took a 12 million loss. Yeah. So, yeah, stock down on Piontek. Yeah, I don't, I don't figure he was expecting a uh, uh, reduced fee to go to Hertha Berlin. I can't imagine that was like in the plans for him. No, not at all. But, you know, it just adds to a crazy window for Hertha, which I'm, I'm eager to see what happens there. So. All right, well, I'm glad we, we, we brought it back to this window being slightly strange, since that's how I would categorize it. But, Sam, thank you really. Uh, really, I appreciate you taking all the time to kind of work through this. Explain the window to me. Help me make sense of it, because it was a bit confusing to me. Uh, <laughs> anything you'd like to plug? How can people hear more of you or find more from you? Uh, well, we obviously we run the the Bleacher Report mm-hmm. uh, BR Football Ranks podcast. Uh, it's out every Wednesday. 
uh, we are only once a week. So, you know, maybe that's maybe that's the right amount. Now, some people say it's not enough, but I bet other people think ah, one hour a week is enough for that guy. Uh, so if you I can't tell if that was a veiled shot at the fact that we do five shows a week. I feel like it was. <laughs> no, no, no. This is that people can't stand me. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you're interested, if you've got another hour in your week to listen to a football podcast, then come over and join us. Uh, but do not depart this one because it's very good as well. I would well, never steal customers. Well, th- thank you, my friend. I do appreciate that. But I, I very much enjoy what you all do, uh, including the poetry up front. Oh, that's my least favorite bit. <laughs> that's my least favorite bit. All right, on that note, Sam, thank you very much uh, once again for making another appearance, and we look forward to your next one. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the hat trick ball. Um, I don't know how you're going to get that to me in the post. Uh, I can give you the address or whatever. I don't know what the courier charge is going to be, but I presume there's a hat trick ball involved. Let's just uh, let's just have the Bundesliga bring us back to Germany, and then I'll bring a ball with me. Okay, cool. All right, perfect, perfect. I'm glad we got a plan. All right, Sam, thanks again. <laughs> See ya. 